big thanks to our producers for this week's episode. Danielle, Ginger, Mike, Kat, Devin, Savannah, Pixel Donut, Janelle, Michelle, Diane, Joy, Josh, Shorty, Lauren, Rebecca, Araceli, Kailani Hawaii, Obese J, Katie P, Rory, Kaylee, Bradley, and Christelle. A big welcome to our recent members and producers, Brandon, Shelby TX, Lorraine, and Courtney. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast, guys. I really appreciate it. And you're just in time for another bonus episode that I'll be releasing this week. If you're interested in becoming a member of the official Nightmare Society Campfire Online, you can find us on patreon.com slash nightmare society. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash nightmare society. It's a way you can show support for the podcast, or if you're just interested in bonus episodes, early access, and other fun stuff, that's where it exists. There's a few tiers you can choose from starting at a dollar a month. Also, a big thanks to our contributors for sharing their stories with us tonight. User I Ain't No Tadpole, User Yeah Nah, and User Bony King of Nowhere. And lastly, don't forget the Nightmare Society podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts, as well as YouTube. And there's a new episode every Thursday. You can find us on Instagram at Nightmare Society Radio, so head over and give us a follow. It's linked in the episode description along with our merchandise shop and our Patreon. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. graduated high school almost a year ago. I had really no urge to attend college or the military, and basically got stuck in my boring hometown for months, where I slowly became dependent on Xanax and booze. I was destined to repeat the cycle of white trash set before me by my parents and theirs before me. I knew I had to leave town. So I decided to sign up for a website you may have heard of called wwoof.com, Worldwide Opportunities in Organic Farming. You pay a small fee and they make available a directory of organic farming operations that will feed you and allow you to live with them in return for a certain amount of work around the farm. The place I decided to commit to was a Hare Krishna community in the Deep South. I got there and my car almost immediately broke down. It was a 30-year-old Chevy Blazer I bought on Craigslist for $500. Later on, I was to find out it was beyond repair at this point. The closest town was almost 20 miles away, so I found myself stranded and surrounded by the most unbearable hipsters. To be more specific, I'd say about a third of the population of the community were either first or second generation Indian immigrants living near the temple for religious reasons. 
Another demographic were aging hippies, also there for spiritual purposes, but also running the small-scale organic farm located on the property. Everyone else, however, was self-absorbed, condescending, right out of college, but vapid as crap hipsters. I basically kept to myself, but occasionally was forced into conversations about vibrating crystals and their three-year spiritual journey, no doubt being funded by their parents. I had been there for a few weeks and was desperate for a real conversation, and then Michael showed up. I had heard stories about Michael. A couple of days before I showed up, he had left to retrieve an impounded car in a large city about an hour away. Everyone said he was lazy, insane, and would spend hours up in his room doing yoga instead of coming down and working with the rest of us. He showed up late in the evening going on about how he was going to really get involved with the farming and throw himself into the Krishna consciousness. He was in his early 30s. He looked like a balding Hasidic Jew, his unwashed sideburns curled. He spoke like a stoner cartoon character, his sentences punctuated with an uh or and like, giving his utterly fried brain time to figure out what others wanted to hear. He reminded me of many of the friends I left back home. We became fast friends, as he was the only person there who didn't give me the urge to bite my fingers off when he spoke. We were both from Texas, so we talked about the loony conservative teachers we had in high school, football, and of course drugs. Every now and then he brought up subjects that really sort of threw me off. He wasn't able to get his car out of the inbound garage, so he schemed the best way to break it out. These plans involved firearms, pipe bombs, and telepathy. He told me how he had come to the Hare Krishna temple to befriend some of the gurus and learn Reiki meditation, a form of meditation used to control the minds and bodies of other people. He told me he believed he had used Reiki once to seduce a woman at a party. This is when I understood his reputation. I simply nodded and laughed occasionally when he went off on these rants. I knew one day I would reach a saturation point for his absurdity, but I could probably endure a week or more. Later, we were eating lunch with one of the gurus. I was telling Michael about my trip to the giant field where the Branch Davidian used to be. He wasn't sure what the Branch Davidian was, so I explained to him about Waco, David Koresh, and the botched siege by the FBI and ATF that led to the death of 76 Davidians and four ATF agents. He was enraged. He was screaming that the government is always trying to silence people preaching the truth and that it's so messed up, etc. I wanted to explain to him that David Koresh was a sociopathic cult leader, interested in power and nothing else, but Michael wasn't having it. Now I was angry. He was having a tantrum about a subject and I had just explained it to him, and now he's telling me that I'm wrong and that David Koresh was a martyr. This is when I saw the truly insane Michael. He was spitting, red as a beet pacing back and forth. 
I left the table and got back to work, but he followed me. After half an hour of this absurd argument, I couldn't handle any more. I'm not having this conversation with the freaking loon, Michael. I can expect logic from you. You came here to get superpowers. The look in his eyes changed from anger to hatred. He got really still and went at me. Michael was a big guy, much, much bigger than me. He lunged at me and I ran. As I ran, I went through my pocket praying I had grabbed my knife before I left my cabin. I know it sounds ridiculous, but you don't walk in my old neighborhood without some sort of protection. Plus, it was a pretty useful tool on the farm. Luckily, I had grabbed it and turned around, so he saw it. He stopped and contemplated for three seconds. He quickly turned around and finished his lunch. I pulled the temple president aside and explained what happened and that we had to get rid of him. It did not take much convincing. No one really cared for him and he wasn't much help on the farm. I felt bad snitching on the guy. He was in a pretty desperate situation. He had no car, no money, and I can't imagine he had many friends. The temple president also informed me that he had been an alcoholic for 10 years and had come there to get sober. I found it very strange he never told me this. Later that day, I saw through my window someone drive up and hand him several suitcases to pack what little he had, and I saw them both drive off to who knows where. Weeks went by and the whole encounter kind of faded from my consciousness. Late one night, I got a text. Hey, this is Michael. We can get a car out for 280 bucks. Wanna go traveling? I never responded. I wasn't sure how he got my number, but I figured he looked me up on Facebook or something. A few nights later, I was in the temple office using the Wi-Fi to make some emails. I was making the walk back to my cabin and from the pitch black I hear a lot of banging coming from a barn. I remember thinking it must be an animal, but also thinking it must be a pretty big one to make that much noise. I entered my cabin. The actual door to the cabin does not have a lock, but my bedroom did, so I used that one. I was pretty unsettled by the banging, but I figured my imagination was getting the best of me. Later that night, I woke up needing to use the restroom. The cabin didn't have a bathroom, but we had a shared outhouse. I didn't feel like putting on shoes and walking around in the dark, so I figured I'd just use a restroom in the sink. I know it's gross, but I'm the only one who uses that sink. I opened my bedroom door and nearly pissed myself right there. Michael, completely naked, was crouching in a corner of my kitchen, facing the wall. I made a noise I wasn't aware I could make. Something you would hear only Shaggy make on Scooby-Doo. This noise alerted Michael to my entrance. All he did was glare at me and shook his whole body. I slammed my door and locked it almost immediately. I knew what he was trying to do. He was trying to pacify me with Reiki meditation. I called 911. I didn't open my door or even approach it until I saw the red and blue lights outside my window. 
Michael wasn't there when they arrived. My guess is he ran deep into the woods that surrounded the farm. I explained my and Michael's history and what had happened that night. There wasn't much they could do since no one seemed to know anything about Michael. I didn't even know his last name. I had to leave the farm shortly after. Calling the police was really frowned upon since I believe many of the old hippies thought they were still avoiding the draft. I didn't mind leaving, either. I couldn't sleep knowing Michael might be out in those woods, angrier than he was before. I stayed up almost three days while I waited for my friend to come and get me. My boyfriend's mom is 43 currently, and the other day we were talking about inexplicable events when she started telling me about her best friend in high school. When they were about 17 or 18 and were finishing up their last year of high school, a bunch of scholarships abroad had come out. Living in a small island in the South Pacific, opportunities to study abroad were hard to come by, and being a smart girl, Naturally, her best friend applied. A few months later, she received the call that she'd received a full scholarship, inclusive of allowance and accommodation. She received an official letter, contact details. Her parents spoke to a lady on the phone who explained the whole process to them. All she had to sort out was her visa, pay her airfare, and she was set to go. Someone would meet her at the airport and make sure she settled in. It was an opportunity of a lifetime. D-Day arrives and she's off on her new adventure. The best friend gets on the airplane, promises to call them as soon as she gets access to a phone. She never called home. They tried contacting the lady they had been speaking to over the phone and the number didn't work anymore. The family contacted the university she had received the scholarship to. They had never heard of her. She was not enrolled in any classes, and there weren't even any scholarships available for this country. And that was the last anyone had ever heard from her. I was about 24 at the time and living in Portland, Oregon. Portland is a place to see some pretty weird people, and not get taken notice of if you happen to be one. My neighbor was just outside of downtown on a pretty quiet highway, and the world food store I worked at was just a mile down the street. It was a cheap place to live, and if I had to guess why, it would probably be at least partially due to the methadone patients that were frequently dropped off at the various hotels in the neighborhood. One night at around 10 p.m. after closing up with my manager at the store, I walked to my car around the back of the building to see a rather frazzled, dirty-looking couple standing in the shadows near my vehicle. I had lived in the area long enough to know that random mugging did not really happen. The worst that would happen is they would ask me for change that I would usually agree to empty my pockets of. They took notice of me as I jingled my keys and started to walk over. It was then that I noticed that neither the guy or girl were wearing shoes or socks. 
I began to reach into my pocket before they even got to me. But to my great surprise, the guy pulled out a $10 bill and asked if I would please drive him and his girlfriend out of the area. I had heard of stories as a kid of hitchhikers killing people on dark highways, but these kids looked to be late teenagers and pretty harmless. I figured they were dropped off here like the other outpatients and I decided to hear their story. As his girlfriend stood sheepishly a distance away, he spun me a story involving a magazine-selling cult that would take in kids off the street, but then make them sell magazines door-to-door and pick them up and take them back to the compound. They were watched at all times. He said that at the big house they all stayed in, it was locked down at night, and added, They took our shoes and and locked them up so we wouldn't run. I doubted much of the story's validity, but I had made up my mind to give them a ride, and just then a big white van with blacked out windows came screeching to a halt directly in front of my car. The driver was a large Caucasian man in his late 30s to early 40s, with a shaved head and a sturdy build. I did not get a good look at his passenger. The kids ran for it and after a hateful stare from the driver to me, he backed out and tried to head them off on the other side. I got them inside the grocery store before he made it into the parking lot. My manager, a tall, intimidating Syrian man, called the police as the van circled the building a few times. It eventually disappeared, probably after the men realized we would call the police. The guy called his mother and I drove them to a safe place to be picked up, making sure I was not being followed. They hugged me and tried to give me money, but I would have felt really crappy taking it. I drove away before the guy's mom showed up, but to this day I wish I had stayed with them until I knew they were safe. I hope they're okay. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Nightmare Society Radio and check out our online uh, members-only campfire at patreon.com slash nightmare society. There will be a bonus episode out this week. Um, All those links will be in the episode description. And as always, stay safe and sweet.